Book 1, Part 1, Section 5, Death of Mahamaya. On the fifth day, the ceremony of name-giving took place. The name chosen for the child was Siddhartha. His clan name was Gautama. Popularly, therefore, he came to be called Siddhartha Gautam. In the midst of rejoicing over the birth and the naming of the child, Mahamaya suddenly fell ill and her illness became very serious. Realizing that her end was near, she called Sudhodhana and Prajapati to her bedside and said, I am sure that the prophecy made by Asita about my son will come true. My regret is that I will not live to see it fulfilled. My child will soon be a motherless child. But I am not worried in the least as to whether after me my child will be carefully nursed, properly looked after and brought up in a manner befitting his future. To you Prajapati, I entrust my child. I have no doubt that you will be to him more than his mother. Now do not be sorry. Permit me to die. God's call has come and his messengers are waiting to take me. So, saying Mahamaya breathed her last, both Sukhodhana and Prajapati were greatly grieved and wept bitterly. Siddhartha was only seven days old when his mother died. Siddhartha had a younger brother by name Nanda. He was the son of Sudhodhana born to Mahaprajapati. He had also several cousins, Mahanama and Anuradha, sons of his uncle Suklodhan Ananda, son of his uncle Amitodhan, and Devadat, son of his aunt Amita. Mahanama was older than Siddhartha and Ananda was younger. Siddhartha grew up in their company. Book 1, Part 1, Section 6 Childhood and Education When Siddhartha was able to walk and speak, the elders of the Satyas assembled and asked Sudodhana that the boy should be taken to the temple of the village goddess Abhaya. Sudodhana agreed and asked Mahaprajapati to dress the boy. While she was doing so, the child Siddhartha, with a most sweet voice, asked his aunt where he was being taken. On learning that he was learning he was being taken to the temple, he smiled. But he went, confirming to the custom of the Sakyas. At the age of eight, Siddhartha started his education. Those very eight Brahmins whom Suddhodhana had invited to interpret Mahamaya's dream and who had predicted his future were in his first teachers. After they had taught him what they knew, Suddhodhana sent for Sabbamita of distinguished descent and of high lineage in the land of Udika, a philologist and grammarian well read in the Vedas, Vedangas and Upanishads. Having poured out water of dedication from a golden vase, Suddhodana handed over the boy to his charge to be taught. He was his second teacher. Under him, Gautama mastered all the philosophic systems prevalent in his day. Besides this, he had learned the science of concentration and meditation from one Bhardwaj, a disciple of Alara Kalam who had his ashram at Kapilavatsu. Book 1, Section 1, sorry, Section 7, Part 1 Early Traits 
Whenever he went to his father's farm and found no work, he repaired to a quiet place and practiced meditation. While everything for the cultivation of the mind was provided, his education in the military science befitting a Kshatriya was not neglected. For Suddhodhana was anxious not to make the mistake of having cultivated the mind of his son at the cost of his manliness. Siddhartha was of kindly disposition. He did not like exploitation of man by man. Once he went to his father's farm with some of his friends and saw the laborers plowing the land, raising buns, cutting trees, etc., dressed in scanty clothes under a hot burning sun. He was greatly moved by the sight. He said to his friends, Can it be right that one man should exploit another? How can it be right that the laborer should toil and the master should live on the fruits of his labor? His friends did not know what to say, for they believed in the old philosophy of life that the worker was born to serve and that in serving his master, he was only fulfilling his destiny. Sakyas used to celebrate a festival called Vapramangal. It was a rustic festival performed on the day of sowing. On this day, custom had made it obligatory on every Sakya to do plowing personally. Siddharth always observed the custom and did engage himself in plowing. Though a man of learning, he did not despise manual labor. He belonged to a warrior class and had been taught archery and the use of weapons. But he did not like causing unnecessary injury. He refused to join hunting parties, his friends used to say. Are you afraid of tigers? He used to retort by saying, I know you are not going to kill tigers. You are going to kill harmless animals such as deer and rabbits. If not for hunting, come to witness how accurate is the aim of your friends, he said. Even such invitations, Siddharth refused, saying, I do not like to see the killing of innocent animals. Prajapati Gautami was deeply worried over this attitude of Siddharth. She used to argue with him, saying, You have forgotten that you are a Kshatriya and fighting is your duty. The art of fighting can be learned only through hunting, for only by hunting can you learn how to aim accurately. Hunting is a training ground for the warrior class. Siddharth often used to ask Gautami, But mother, why should a Kshatriya fight? And Gautami used to reply, Because it is his duty. Siddharth was never satisfied by her answer. He asked, used to ask Gautami, Tell me, how can it be the duty of man to kill man? Gautami argued, such an attitude is good for an ascetic, but Kshatriyas must fight. If they don't, who will protect the kingdom? But mother, if all Kshatriyas loved one another, would they not be able to protect the kingdom without resort to killing? Bhattami had to leave him to his own opinion. He tried to, to induce his companions to join him in practicing meditation. He caught them the pro proper pose. He taught them to fix their mind on a subject. He advised them to select such thoughts as, may I be happy? May my relations be happy? May all living animals be happy? But his friends did not take the matter seriously. They laughed at him. 
On closing their eyes, they could not concentrate on the subject of meditation. Instead, some saw before their eyes deer for shooting or sweets for eating. His father and his mother did not like his partiality for meditation. They thought it was so contrary to the life of a Kshatriya. Siddharth believed that meditation on right subjects led to development of the spirit of universal love. He justified himself by saying, when we think of living things, begin with distinction and discrimination. We separate friends from enemies, we separate animals, we rear from human beings. We love friends and domesticated animals and we hate enemies and wild animals. This dividing line we must overcome and this step do when we in our contemplation rise above the limitations of practical life. Such was his reasoning. His childhood was marked by the presence of supreme sense of compassion. Once he went to his father's farm during recess, he was resting under a tree enjoying the peace and beauty of nature. While so seated, a bird fell from the sky, the sky just in front of him. The bird had been shot by an arrow which had pierced its body and was fluttering about in great agony. Siddharth rushed to the help of the bird. He removed the arrow, dressed its wound and gave it water to drink. He picked up the bird, came to the place where he was seated and wrapped up the bird in his upper garment and held it next to his chest to give it warmth. Siddharth was wondering who could have shot this innocent bird. Before Long, there came his cousin Devadatta, armed with all the implements of shooting. He told Siddharth that he had shot a bird flying in the sky. The bird was wounded, but it flew some distance and fell somewhere there, and asked him if he had seen it. Siddharth replied in the affirmative and showed him the bird which had by that time completely recovered. Devadatta demanded that the bird be handed over to him. This Siddharth refused to do. A sharp argument issued between the two. Devadatta argued that he was the owner of the bird because by the rules of the game, he who kills a game becomes the owner of the game. Siddharth denied the validity of the rule. He argued that it is not only he who protects that has the right to claim ownership. How can he who wants to kill be the owner? Neither party would eat. The matter was referred to arbitration. The arbitrator upheld the point of view of Siddharth Gautam. Devadatta became his permanent enemy, but Gautama's spirit of compassion was so great that he preferred to save the life of an innocent bird to securing the goodwill of his cousin. Such were the truths of character found in the early life of Siddharth Gautam. Book 1, Part 1, Section 8, Marriage There was a Sakya by name De Dandapani. Yashodhara was his daughter. She was well known for her beauty and for her sila. Yashodhara had reached her 16 years and Dandapani was thinking about her marriage. According to custom, Dandapani sent invitations to young men of all the neighboring countries for the swamber of his daughter. An invitation was also sent to Siddhartha Gautam. Siddhartha Gautam had completed his 16 yeah, his parents also were equally anxious to get him married. They asked him to go to Swamvar and 
offered his hand to Yasodhara. He agreed to follow his parents' wishes. Now amongst the young men, Yasodhara's choice fell on Siddhartha Gautam. Dandapani was not very happy. He felt doubtful about the success of the marriages. Siddharth, he felt, was addicted to the company of saints and sages, preferred loneliness. How could he be a successful householder? Yashodhara, who was determined to marry none but Siddhartha, asked her father whether to be in the company of saints and sages was a crime. She did not think it was. Knowing her daughter's determination to marry no one but Siddharth Gautam, the mother of Yashodhara told Dandapani that he must consent Dandapani did. The rivals of Gautama were not only disappointed but felt that they were insulted. They wanted that in fairness to them, Yashodhara should have applied some test for her selection, but she did not. For the time being, they kept quiet, believing that Dandapani would not allow Yashodhara to choose Siddhartha Gautam so that their purpose would be served. But when Dandapani failed, they made bold and it demanded that a test of skill in archery be prescribed. Dandapani had to agree. At first, Siddhartha was not prepared for this, but Channa, his charioteer, pointed out to him what disgrace his refusal would bring upon his father, upon his family, and upon Yashodhara. Siddhartha Gautam was greatly impressed by his argument and agreed to take part in the contest. The contest began. Each candidate showed his skill in turn. Gautama's turn came last, but he was the highest marksmanship. Thereafter, the marriage took place. Both Suddhodana and Dandapani were happy. So was Yashodhara and Mahaprajapati. After a long term of married life, Yashodhara gave birth to a son. He was named Ravana. Book 1, Part 1, Section 5 Death of Mahamaya On the fifth day, the ceremony of name-giving took place. The name chosen for the child was Siddhartha. His clan name was Gautama. Popularly, therefore, he came to be called Siddhartha Gautam. In the midst of rejoicing over the birth and the naming of the child, Mahamaya suddenly fell ill and her illness became very serious. Realizing that her end was near, she called Suddhodhana and Prajapati to her bedside and said, I am sure that the prophecy made by Asita about my son will come true. My regret is that I will not live to see it fulfilled. My child will soon be a motherless child, but I am not worried in the least as to whether after me, my child will be carefully nursed, properly looked after, and brought up in a manner befitting his future. To you, Prajapati, I entrust my child. I have no doubt that you will be to him more than his mother. Now do not be sorry. Permit me to die. God's call has come, and his messengers are waiting to take me. So, saying Mahamaya breathed her last, both Sukhodana and Prajapati were greatly grieved and wept bitterly. Siddhartha was only seven days old when his mother died. Siddhartha had a younger brother by name Nanda. He was the son of Suddhodhana born to Mahaprajapati. 
He had also several cousins, Mahanama and Anuradha, sons of his uncle Suklodhan Ananda, son of his uncle Amitodan, and Devadan, son of his aunt Amita. Mahanama was older than Siddhartha and Ananda was younger. Siddhartha grew up in their company. Book 1, Part 1, Section 6 Childhood and Education When Siddhartha was able to walk and speak, the elders of the Satyas assembled and asked Subodhana that the boy should be taken to the temple of the village goddess Abhaya. Sudodhana agreed and asked Mahaprajapati to dress the boy. While she was doing so, the child Siddhartha, with a most sweet voice, asked his aunt where he was being taken. On learning that he was learning, he was being taken to the temple, he smiled. But he went, confirming to the custom of the Sakyas. At the age of eight, Siddhartha started his education. Those very eight Brahmins whom Suddhodhana had invited to interpret Mahamaya's dream and who had predicted his future were in his first teachers. After they had taught him what they knew, Suddhodhana sent for Sabbamita of distinguished descent and of high lineage in the land of Udika, of philologists and grammarian well read in the Vedas, Vedangas and Upanishads. Having poured out water of dedication from a golden vase, Suddhodana handed over the boy to his charge to be taught. He was his second teacher. Under him, Gautama mastered all the philosophic systems prevalent in his day. Besides this, he had learned the science of concentration and meditation from one Bhardwaj, a disciple of Alara Kalam who had his ashram at Kapilavatsu. Book 1, Section 1, sorry, Section 7, Part 1 Early Traits Whenever he went to his father's farm and found no work, he repaired to a quiet place and practiced meditation. While everything for the cultivation of the mind was provided, his education in the military science befitting a Kshatriya was not neglected. For Suddhodhana was anxious not to make the mistake of having cultivated the mind of his son at the cost of his manliness. Siddhartha was of kindly disposition. He did not like exploitation of man by man. Once he went to his father's farm with some of his friends and saw the laborers plowing the land, raising buns, cutting trees, etc., dressed in scanty clothes under a hot burning sun. He was greatly moved by the sight. He said to his friends, Can it be right that one man should exploit another? How can it be right that the laborer should toil and the master should live on the fruits of his labor? His friends did not know what to say, for they believed in the old philosophy of life that the worker was born to serve and that in serving his master, he was only fulfilling his destiny. Sakyas used to celebrate a festival called Vapramangal. It was a rustic festival performed on the day of sowing. On this day, custom had made it obligatory on every Sakya to do plowing personally. Siddharth always observed the custom and did engage himself in plowing. Though a man of learning, he did not despise manual labor. 
He belonged to a warrior class and had been taught archery and the use of weapons. But he did not like causing unnecessary injury. He refused to join hunting parties. His friends used to say, Are you afraid of tigers? He used to retort by saying, I know you are not going to kill tigers. You are going to kill harmless animals such as deer and rabbits. If not for hunting, come to witness how accurate is the aim of your friends, he said. Even such invitations, Siddharth refused saying, I do not like to see the killing of innocent animals. Prajapati Gautami was deeply worried over this attitude of Siddharth. She used to argue with him saying, you have forgotten that you are a Kshatriya and fighting is your duty. The art of fighting can be learned only through hunting, for only by hunting can you learn how to aim accurately. Hunting is a training ground for the warrior class. Siddharth often used to ask Gautami, but mother, why should a Kshatriya fight? And Gautami used to reply, because it is his duty. Siddharth was never satisfied by her answer. He, asked, he used to ask Gautami, tell me, how can it be the duty of man to kill man? Gautami argued. Such an attitude is good for an ascetic, but Kshatriyas must fight. If they don't, who will protect the kingdom? But mother, if all Kshatriyas loved one another, would they not be able to protect the kingdom without resort to killing? Gautami had to leave him to his own opinion. He tried to, to induce his companions to join him in practicing meditation. He caught them the pro proper pose. He taught them to fix their mind on a subject. He advised them to select such thoughts as, May I be happy? May my relations be happy? May all living animals be happy? But his friends did not take the matter seriously. They laughed at him. On closing their eyes, they could not concentrate on the subject of meditation. Instead, some saw before their eyes deer for shooting or sweets for eating. His father and his mother did not like his partiality for meditation. They thought it was so contrary to the life of a Kshatriya. Siddharth believed that meditation on right subjects led to development of the spirit of universal love. He justified himself by saying, when we think of living things, begin with distinction and discrimination. We separate friends from enemies, we separate animals we rear from human beings. We love friends and domesticated animals and we hate enemies and wild animals. This dividing line we must overcome and this can do when we in our contemplation rise above the limitations of practical life. Such was his reasoning. His childhood was marked by the presence of supreme sense of compassion. Once he went to his father's farm during recess, he was resting under a tree enjoying the peace and beauty of nature. While so seated, a bird fell from the sky, the sky just in front of him. The bird had been shot by an arrow which had pierced its body and was fluttering about in great agony. Siddharth rushed to the help of the bird. He removed the arrow, dressed its wound and gave it water to drink. He picked up the bird, came to the place where he was seated and wrapped up the bird in his upper garment and held it next to his chest to give it warmth. Siddharth was wondering who could have shot this innocent bird. 
before long there came his cousin Devadatta armed with all the implements of shooting. He told Siddhartha that he had shot a bird flying in the sky. The bird was wounded but it flew some distance and fell somewhere there and asked him if he had seen it. Siddhartha replied in the affirmative and showed him the bird which had by that time completely recovered. Devadatta demanded that the bird be handed over to him. This Siddhartha refused to do. A sharp argument and issued between the two. Devadatta argued that he was the owner of the bird because by the rules of the game he who kills a game becomes the owner of the game. Siddhartha denied the validity of the rule. He argued that it is not only he who protects that has the right to claim ownership. How can he who wants to kill be the owner? Neither party would eat. The matter was referred to arbitration. The arbitrator upheld the point of view of Siddharth Gautam. Devadatta became his permanent enemy, but Gautama's spirit of compassion was so great that he preferred to save the life of an innocent bird to securing the goodwill of his cousin. Such were the truths of character found in the early life of Siddharth Gautam. Book 1, Part 1, Section 8, Marriage. There was a Sakya by name De Dandapani. Yashodhara was his daughter. She was well known for her beauty and for her sila. Yashodhara had reached her 16 years and Dandapani was thinking about her marriage. According to custom, Dandapani sent invitations to young men of all the neighboring countries for the swamvar of his daughter. An invitation was also sent to Siddhartha Gautam. Siddhartha Gautam had completed his 16 year. His parents also were equally anxious to get him married. They asked him to go to Swamvar and offer his hand to Yasodhara. He agreed to follow his parents' wishes. From amongst the young men, Yasodhara's choice fell on Siddhartha Gautam. Dandapani was not very happy. He felt doubtful about the success of the marriages. Siddhartha, he felt, was addicted to the company of saints and sages preferred loneliness. How could he be a successful householder? Yashodhara, who was determined to marry none but Siddhartha, asked her father whether to be in the company of saints and sages was a crime. She did not think it was. Knowing her daughter's determination to marry no one but Siddhartha Gautam, the mother of Yashodhara told Dandapani that he must consent Dandapani did. The rivals of Gautama were not only disappointed but felt that they were insulted. They wanted that in fairness to them, Yashodhara should have applied some test for her selection, but she did not. For the time being, they kept quiet, believing that Dandapani would not allow Yashodhara to choose Siddhartha Gautam so that their purpose would be served. But when Dandapani failed, they made bold and they demanded that a test of skill in archery be prescribed. Dandapani had to agree. At first, Siddhartha was not prepared for this, but Channa, his charioteer, pointed out to him what disgrace his refusal would bring upon his father, upon his family, and upon Yashodhara. Siddhartha Gautam was greatly impressed by his argument and agreed to take part in the contest. The contest began. Each candidate showed his skill in turn. Gautama's turn came last, but he was the highest marksmanship. 
Day after the marriage took place, both Suddhodana and Dandapani were happy. So was Yashodhara and Mahaprajapati. After a long term of married life, Yashodhara gave birth to a son who was named Rahula. 